When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rapcast. Uh, my name is Zarar. Uh, I'm joined today by Andrew Demlin and Manny Rao. Hey, guys. Hey, Zarar. Hey Let's jump right into it. Uh, Biden has pulled out of Afghanistan. <laughs> 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 Leaving behind a bigger mess than Brian Colangelo. Oh, man. I'm not qualified to speak on this. I, I'm not at all qualified to speak I was ready for this. this. Let's Let's go. Let's pick the topics maybe that we can we can comment on. Um, <laughs> you know the rain clouds of geopolitics <laughs> hang over yeah. us. Yeah. Um, I guess this is the Raptors podcast, and it is summertime. This is historically the deadest time of the year for the site. Uh, you know, uh, late August, September, uh, the, the first part of September is just absolute dead. So, uh, but that's not going to stop us from talking Raptors. And I guess the first topic on hand is the discrepancy between what Vegas thinks the Raptors are going to do and what a lot of Raptor fans think the Raptors are going to achieve this year. Uh, Vegas has them at 35 wins and Vegas knows whatever Vegas knows. Let's just say 35 wins is their prediction based on the Raptors off season uh, and, and their history, I guess. And there are some fans who are quite optimistic and quite fervent in their belief that the Raptors are a 50-55 win team. Let me start with Andrew. Andrew, where do you lie on that spectrum? And what is causing this this heavy variance across what's what's uh, across the upcoming season? I think the Vegas line is based on the general perception that Toronto teams won't do well from Americans. So it takes that sort of general betting population into account. I think they're a 500 team, a fun 500 team. I don't even think about wins and losses this year. I just think, will the team be fun? Will they have fun playing together in another, like you said in your article today, in another bridge year? So Raptors fans are always going to be defensive and want a higher win total. But based on last year, like what win total would you expect? 50 wins? I mean, that sounds outlandish. I don't know the path to 50 wins for this team. Yeah, it's like it's like on election, not, not to go back to politics, but you know on election night, they go, oh, this candidate has a path to 270, right? Or a path to whatever it is. I don't see a path to 50, 50 wins. Manny, what, 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 where, do you, where do you stand on that, uh, on that spectrum? Um, so I think they're going to go 74 and 8. I think they're going to conjure up the best record ever in league history. Um, no, but seriously, guys, I think that it's a little – I agree with you guys. It's a little crazy to think that, you know, 50 wins may not be realistic. Um, I don't know if, if a 500 record even is realistic. I think I, I'm kind of – I'm with Andrew on this. You know, I want to see how these parts work together. I want to see if they're going to be fun. I mean – Look, this is like the biggest roster turnover we've had in, in years. Um, you know, over the years, obviously, we've gotten pieces. But I think in terms of just how they're going to play together, like you've got the number four pick and he's a big piece of the puzzle now. And I think like just being patient with them, just, you know, it, like just have fun watching this team blossom and watching them grow. Look how much fun we've had OG uh, watching OG grow, you know, Pascal, Fred is going to be the undisputed leader of the team now. I think it's without question that they're going to, you know, maybe maybe 38 to 44 wins. That's the number I'm looking at. But then again, I don't have too many expectations. It could be like a Knicks thing from last year. Really a very yeah. pleasant surprise. Well-coached team and Julius Randle becomes this this legit number one option or close to it. When we don't know if Pascal is going to be that, we don't know if OG is going to make that next leap. It's like, what do you take from last season? It was weird. It went bad when everyone got COVID, but what was the best outcome of last year? And that's kind of the top guys you're bringing back this year. So how many wins does the continuity add on the top end talent? And how much do you have to bring along the young guys? 
the new pieces that they're trying to develop, like Masai Ujiri says. So like, like you said, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in there, but that ceiling to me seems around 500. Yeah, and, and what is the path to 50 yeah, wins? Right? Let's talk that, talk that through a little bit. Like what needs to happen? Because those fans aren't stupid. I mean, they obviously have something in their mind that they're envisioning happening, which will lead to a, a 50-32 season or 18 games over 500. What do you think that is, um, Andrew? As a tangible idea, I think home court advantage is going to mean something. That will bring extra wins than playing in Tampa. So I think that hype from the crowd that that excitement from this young core you know it gives young guys confidence to play at home so there's a couple extra wins per se og ananobi does he make that leap i also think malachi flynn who i watched a lot in the g league last year and who really impressed raptors fans towards the end of the season this guy has all the talent and all the confidence I think to just show up this season feeling like he's ready under that pedigree of Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet to lead a competent second unit, which couldn't score the ball at all last year. So there's two guys that you need to see step up even further in order to make that path. And also you just, I'm just looking at the standings right now that make teams that made the playoffs last year. Like there's the wizards, there's the Pacers, there's the Hornets and there's the Knicks that are kind of all, questions you don't know if they're going to ascend or possibly fall off a little bit so maybe they don't have optimal seasons as a as a path as well now i i I agree with that too and i would say home court is a big part of it because you know after not playing in toronto uh the entire season playing like what 72 pretty much 72 road games it it is a big deal and it's like a, a huge disadvantage for for any team but especially i think toronto being the only canadian team on top of that um I think a lot of people are locked in with the idea of how good this team can be and the potential of how good this team could be. You got guys like I said, like Scotty, you got Delano Banton, you got um, Precious, and a guy who's like really like grinding it out and proving that he's gonna work for his spot, Ish Wainwright. I think you've got uh, like who may not be well known, but I think the idea of this team and the potential down the road is kind of where people are thinking. Well, you know, this might happen sooner than later because, let's face it, Mazai Ujiri and Bobby Webster have done an amazing job uh, rounding this team out over the years. And, you know, it, it, even saying that doesn't give them enough credit. Um, but, yeah, you look at the East and, you know, the East really is very top-heavy with Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Um, I'm not convinced Miami is going to be one of the top three teams yet, uh, but – I would agree. Like there is a lot of question marks surrounding the, uh, you know, three to eight or four to eight seeds in in the East because you just don't know. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. We should mention the Bulls are probably going to jump up. Uh, Bulls are going to jump up. Probably going to be amount. top four. I would say, yeah. You know, you guys both in your answers to how the Raptors might get the fifty wins kind of left out their main guy, uh, which is Pascal Siakam. Uh, and, and I think he needs to make a leap forward this year. I, I know he's injured with the, with the shoulder, but he's going to be back hopefully by the season starts. Uh, I think when you looked at last year, the Raptors had some trouble closing games. There were a lot of question marks with his decision-making at the, at the helm with the game on the line. I thought overall his ball handling improved last season. I, I thought after Kyle, you could make a case that he was the Raptors' second-best playmaker. Uh, even ahead of Fred at times, uh, because he he brought the ball up the court, had a pretty low turnover rate, bringing the ball up the court, created well enough. I think he finally learned this year that when he drives into the middle, uh, if you looked at his passing angles out of that initial double team, it was always to where his face was facing. It was to the corner or where he was looking. Last year, I thought he made a leap where he was starting to pass the other way. So you couldn't just close off one end and kind of neutralize him. He had a, he had a higher dimensionality to his passing game. I think that needs to continue. And his three-point shooting. Did you guys think, let's start with Andrew, that, that his three-point shooting last year was just an off year or... D- d- does he have a three-point shot that can reach 38 39% consistently? Because I think that's one of the things that needs to happen for the Raptors to achieve some of those ambitious targets that some people are setting for them. Yeah, he was under 30% from three last year, and that's because he was more of a target defensively with Lowry out all the time. And obviously, you know, well, Kawhi for the last two seasons, I, sh- I should say. But 
Yeah, the three-point shot's got to become reliable. Can you make an open drive and kick, catch and shoot three? Nothing off the dribble. I don't think that's ever going to happen for him. Like His shot was totally broken coming out of college, and he was worked on it tirelessly to get it to an acceptable point. But he kind of, in elevating that uh, three-point volume, he kind of took out his mid-range shot that I think is so reliable as well. So I hope to see a steady diet of that too. But the assist point you make is such a great point because so often you'd find him getting caught in the air perhaps and just throwing kind of a desperate pass to keep the possession going. He had a career-high four-and-a-half assists last year and he had a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. So you hope to see that growth. And it's it's telling that we both left out Pascal because I think in me and Manny's minds, perhaps we had just in our – just assume Way that he had reached that, that he's re- <laughs> we've reached the ceiling of Pascal, which is an unbelievable ceiling that he's coming out of nowhere. Obviously, just picked up the game as a teenager, but can he make another step when he's even more of a focal point of the defense? We'll see. It may be in a better environment. Hopefully, he's no longer this malcontent at certain parts of the season. Hopefully, you know it's it's hard to win and try to build again after going to championship heights will him will he accept that and be like yeah i'm cool with this middling team that's fun and still competitive that attitude i don't know if it's a question mark i don't have sources on this but time will tell about that cuz he had some moments last year where there was some serious friction between him and the coaches in the front office yeah i would say that too i mean i would think that um in terms of his contract, like you got to look at, I think he signed a four year, $130 million deal, um, uh, you know, entering the 2019, 2020 season. So I think I, I still feel like there is a level that he can get to, um, but he has to prove it. You know, I think, I think him being more of a focal point for opposing teams um, when they're defending the Raptors, I think that's going to be a huge, huge thing and seeing whether or not he can handle that pressure again with, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully a full roster ready to go. Um, but it's good to know that, you know, the the offensive potential of this team is actually like, it, it's, in my opinion, it's it's very, very high. Uh, especially when you have, you know, a guy like Ken Birch who really wasn't able to do the things in Orlando that he, we're now seeing or that we saw last season uh, with the Raptors. A guy like Gary Trent who, you know, now has all the confidence in the world. Um you know, after signing a three-year, fifty-four million dollar deal, and um, Malachi Flynn, like I, I really think his improvement is going to uh, determine. It's going to be a huge factor in determining how far the Raptors will go this season, um, because you know he showed that coming out of college, he's not just a defensive guard; he can also do things on offense. And it's a great, uh, it's a great thing for you know his rookie year having been having been mentored by Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, two guys that, you know, work really hard in their craft and, you know, they're just no BS guys. So I think that, um, you know, Pascal and the team, obviously like their offensive potential is really high. Um, But in terms of the three point shooting, like the Raptors are still the fourth team and three points at three pointers attempted last season. Um, And I, I think they can, I think as long as Pascal, um, you know, continues this role that you know he's been on in terms of his development over the years, I think if he if he can really take his three point shooting up a notch, um, I, I don't see why this team can't be uh, you know within the playoff conversation. And Zora, I wanted to ask you about this. Actually, we're talking about offense, 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 but the defensive rebounding last year was an utter debacle <laughs> with Aaron Baines. You lose him, but you, lo- you there's so little size in the middle. How do you think the team fares this year on the interior, on the defensive end, which is what really killed them in so many close games? You know, there's a general idea that somehow we have solved that problem by re-signing Kem Birch. When Kem Birch is a post-buyout, small sample size, uh, he played well in those 20 games. But I think part of the reason Raptors fans are, are big fans of Kem Birch is what came before him. The contrast is so stark between what was there before him and when he came, that we're enamored with the guy. I think I think that the center position is still a question mark, not just on the glass. I think on the glass we'll see improvement just because Cam is he's more aggressive. He'll 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 just he'll he'll be a more physical presence there and collect more rebounds. But I think overall defensively, because the Raptors are very aggressive on the on on their help defense on their rotations, and their strategy seems to be to funnel people into the paint. And I think Birch moves well enough 
where he can sort of seal off that initial drive and make the offense do something else instead of just walk their way to the rim. So I think you'll see incremental improvement there. I'm just not sure him plus an unproven pressure situa is going to clog that massive hole that we saw last season. I'm hoping they do. And I think if if they had if they had up their center game a little bit higher and Kem Birch was a the first backup instead of the starter, I think my win projection might be plus five, plus six higher just based on that. Yeah, and <clears throat> excuse me, like the center position is not just defunct. It is not an a position that doesn't matter anymore. Like you play against Joel Embiid, you can't grab a rebound. He is given 30 and 15 every single time you you face him. Uh even even with the Nets and Jared Allen was traded. I'm thinking of Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan, who's not that great. But even then, the rebounding is still an issue. These, that presence that he has in the paint is still an issue. There's still something to get through on the interior of the of any NBA defense. Um, it's, so, it's also a big part on the other side, I feel, on the offensive side, because the Raptors run a hell of a lot of high screen and rolls. And if your screen man isn't an offensive threat... Well, that entire play just loses 50% of its effectiveness because you're not even worrying about the, the ball. That, that's one of the things that Kemberch did last year was that he added a almost like a surge, poor man, surge, Ibaka-ish presence there where he could finish that eight-footer, that nine-footer with relative relative ease. And I, and I really hope that that part of his game continues. Yeah, I would say that um, in terms of Kemberch being like the number one option at center – it's it's definitely an upgrade over over Baines, but in terms of you know him solving the issue entirely, it's it it's going to be interesting to see you know how how Toronto plays because I mean you know Mazai and Bobby have talked about and even Nick Nurse too have talked about positionless basketball. So I'm wondering what other you know what other names we're going to see there. Um, I know that I think OG played a little bit last year. I think. Pascal obviously played a little bit last year, but um, yeah, for the most part, it's still it's still a pretty big uh, void in the middle. Positionless basketball is such a I hate that term. Honestly, I, I hate it. the positions <laughs> still exist. You might not want to call it. them certain things. Yeah. People might be more versatile, but if you don't have a center, it matters. If you don't have a point guard, it matters. You can't just hand the ball to a six eight guy all the time unless you're LeBron. Positions are things, and you can just categorize them any way, any way you want. But the term positionless basketball, which coaches invoke all the time, I think is is kind of bunk. Yeah, and also think, gives yeah. them a, sort of like a free pass to throw in whatever the hell lineup you want out there. <laughs> it's <laughs> exactly. going to be – it'll be it'll be interesting for sure because I think, you know, in terms of a guy like P.J. Tucker, like I, I think, you know, we've, we've likened him to uh, Ish Wainwright. But, I mean, that's, that's so early, early to tell. And I think it's – you know, a, a guy that's like, you know, six, six, that can really out muscle opposing big men. Like that's going to be interesting to see. I, I mean, I do want to see that happen. And I want to see, uh, you know, I want to see what, what is going to happen with this lineup. I won't, I'm not, I'm not a huge advocate for positionless basketball, but I think it's something that's intriguing for sure. You don't want to put yourself in a box either way. It's exactly. like, you don't have one through yeah. five or whatever. Yeah. You want to be able to be flexible. But the idea to me is, can as we- I've said, can we also celebrate the return of the mid-range game a little? Uh, yeah. I feel that's coming back after a couple yeah. of years off. Uh, I think we've seen more than just like blind three-point shooting. I think people have tried that, gotten a little sick of it, and people are like, oh, nobody's taking, nobody's defending the mid-range anymore. Maybe we should start taking it a little bit more. And Pascal has that ability. That is where he started to ascend, was in the mid-range, mid-post area. I'm not sure why that can't continue. You know, Van Vliet can create somewhat for him. OG can create too. Hopefully his passing ability uh, increases as well. But the mid-range is something, and we know in the playoffs, there's only the mid-range that's available, right? So that's going to be key. And, 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 I'll, and I'll say um, uh, like one thing about the uh, Pascal is that uh, his three-point shot, he just got to stop taking pull-up threes. I, mm-hmm. I think he should just focus. His volume kind of went up in pull-up threes when it really should mostly 80, 90% of his threes really should be spot up, right? Because mm-hmm. if, yeah. if you're trying to shoot pull-up threes when your form isn't already that great and you're already struggling, that 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 possibly can't be a good thing. And, and I interviewed Dave Hopla, the legendary shooting coach one day, and he t- he kind of mentioned that to me. He's like, if, if you're going to improve your game, start with, with the just set shot. Once that's done, then you move on to a, a higher variety. Yeah, I agree with yeah, that. I, um, yeah. Go ahead, Manny. 
I was going to say that um, it's funny that the mid range is is kind of making a comeback because, like, you know who would be perfect for that is uh, Demar Derozan. Hilariously, so I mean, it's like it's just insane how like these things are are completely ignored for a couple, or at least that aspect of the game was kind of like ignored for a little bit, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're seeing it more and more. I think uh, Fred also himself developed sort of a mid range near the uh, end of the season, or was showing signs of it too. Um, but like that's the good thing about having shooters is that you know, it, it, the three pointer is definitely emphasized. Uh, in the league today, but you know, in order in, in terms of like having a mid range game and being able to shoot from the mid range, it's like, th- there's so many things you can do just from that option, especially from the high post. If you're able to just develop like that, it's, it's insane. It, lo- it unlocks a it, it team's entire offense. And I asked um, the Raptors 905 head coach about what his sort of ideal basketball aesthetic was. Is it like the old time centers with the, with the paint touches and, or is it the three ball? He's like, I emphasize paint touches so much because I find it humiliating when someone is scoring in my paint over and over and over again. So yes, we, I understand the three point shot is important, but his offense last year in the bubble was the number one offense and they had tons of post-ups, a little bit of mid range as well. So there is a way to get your offensive rating up while still shooting more twos than average these days. It, it, it just depends on – sometimes it's, you just you just get lucky and you play in the right era, right? I, I feel Chris Bosh wasted like his – like it, the first six years of Chris Bosh's career were like, guy doesn't go into the paint. Guy doesn't go into the paint. Too many jumpers. Too many jumpers. When in reality, he should have done the opposite. He should have gone back <laughs> to the three-point line, and he did that when he, when he went to Miami. Um, and, and, and to some degree, like JV kind of ended up playing in the quote-unquote wrong era where he was, the, the league was going one way. And William Liu, when he was with Rappers Republic, used to always say, JV's a relic of the past. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and J.R. Smith is a guy who played, again, in the wrong era. He was a guy who used to bomb from three all the time, but got criticized for it. But if he played in, in today's NBA, he, he's an ideal player. I think yeah. it just continues to evolve. The defenses continue to evolve and adjust, and hopefully it doesn't stay, stay static. There was one uh, rule change. You know, the writer Kirk Goldsberry mentioned in his book, he said there should be a three-second count if you're standing in the corner waiting to shoot a three, which I think would, just on its face, sounds so interesting. So hopefully, you know, the game continues towards the mid-range. You don't have to make a rule change in order to get guys off the three-point line. But there's ways also to sort of change the game up and make it more dynamic and have not every team play the same way. Yeah, I think that's part of also ex- like just expanding the offense overall because, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, like if, if teams are going to continually shoot three-pointers, I mean, it's going to be – you're going to have, you know, five out or you're going to have four out. It's going to be so – it's not going to be easy to game plan for that, but it's going to be, you know, a routine kind of thing. And I think uh, in terms of changing up the lineups and changing up, you know, your personnel, it's, it's, it's going to be so interesting to see – what direction this team heads? Because yeah, I, I I'm intrigued by the personnel that they've uh, that you know they they've acquired. It's it's crazy, but um, did, did, did yeah. they end up making that rule change where you shoot one and ones now instead of twos? Or what, wasn't there something going on on that on that front well, in the G League? Every, oh, they, they didn't promote that rule change to the NBA yet. No, one free throw for everything was the best rule ever. Get foul shooting a two, one free throw for a two. Foul shooting a three, one free throw for a three. Do you, do you follow the G League? Do, do you see that ever happening in the NBA where we get one and ones? Uh, never for a couple of reasons. One, because the ads, there's so many ads during free throws. And the players didn't like that you, they lost out on like 30 seconds of rest because the free throws were, were abbreviated. But for a fan, it's just the best. Okay. Okay, yeah, so let's well, let's 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 move on to a couple other guys that we definitely said we would talk about uh, pre uh, pre podcast. Uh, let's start with Ish, and then we'll go to OG. So, uh, Andrew, you interviewed um, Wayne Wright's college coach, assistant coach, or associate coach. I, I didn't know that was a thing, but neither did I. But yeah, that's yeah, right. There he that's is. Right. Um, I guess it's a dotted line to the head coach rather than a solid line in the org chart. I mean, maybe that's the. Is that what it is? Exactly okay. right. I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So what what did you walk what impressions did you walk away with uh, after that interview with um, uh, with him? Yeah, the guy Jerome Tang, such a sweet guy. He said that among every Baylor player he's coached, 18 years plus he's been there, he's among the top three leaders that he had, which is pretty incredible considering the NBA talent that's there. But he says that he has the gift of vision, always sees the extra pass, and defensively he would always trust in him making the final stop and there are highlights of him making the final stop. And he's really aggressive too. He doesn't lay back. He's like blocked shots to end games as well. Just super intelligent. And he had one really funny story. He said, my signature ish Wainwright play is when, you know, you know, the player Damian Jones, he played for the Suns and he played for the Warriors. He said he, he got switched in a, in a mismatch on the first play of the game. And he tried to post him up in the lane. Backs him down. He doesn't move, doesn't move, and he slaps the ball away. And it was like the parallel Kyle Lowry story where you can't post up Kyle Lowry. It's just – it was such a thing that Raptors fans would be endeared to. But um, from a basketball perspective, defensively and passing-wise, it sounds like you can really trust him. And like so many 3 and D prospects, it's like will that three-point shot come along? Who knows? He made four threes in a summer league game this year to score 20 points, which, which led to that emotional uh, press conference afterwards that won Raptors fans' hearts. So will that three-point shot develop enough? And, you know, it's going to be a training camp where he's got to make the team. We'll see. Uh, but defensively, I think he's going to be someone you can rely on. So, so why hasn't he uh, made it to the league for, for the first couple of years? Like what, what kept him out of the league? Well, he tried football after four years. I'm sure he wasn't going to get drafted. He was he was signed by the Bills, actually, but an injury prevented him from making the team. And then I guess by that point, his NBA prospects had kind of sunk. So he went overseas. He played in, the, I think, the top French league for a couple of seasons and was really successful. And another thing that Coach Tang said to me was that teams like the Raptors are sort of, in terms of signing role players – they're happier to probably pick up a seasoned guy who's played overseas versus a college prospect that might have an element of entitlement to him when you're playing that 13th, 14th man role. So that's another thing that, that really sort of entices you and makes you root for the guy when, uh, when he comes into training camp. College privilege. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, these guys are coddled from the second they're in AAU, right? So you, and you get to humbled pretty quickly when you're playing overseas and kind of in obscurity. So that attitude is going to be impressive. And he also like he throws his body everywhere, jumps out of bounds. Raptors fans will, again, love this guy if he gets there. Yeah, I, I think uh, me and Andrew, I mean, we haven't talked about Ish, but we've talked, we, we've kind of talked about Ish um, in passing. But I mean, honestly, I <laughs> his game is just so, it's, it's hard not to fall in love with this game because he throws himself, you know, all around the court. And, you know, he, he doesn't have that entitlement and um, it, like, it's it's a guy like him that I think that the Raptors, you know, try and go for. Obviously, as we alluded to, but um, in terms of like his his hustle, his grind, like you know, you think about Memphis's grit and grind, you know, with with those guys, Tony Allen, Marcus Ole, and and those guys, and, it, and it's just like it's refreshing to see, and it's always nice, and it's it's the kind of stuff that makes him a fan. That'll probably make him a fan favorite. Uh, fingers crossed, he does make the. Uh, opening night roster because you know after that interview i think that was just the icing on the cake you know where he's talking about his daughter and i think it's it's a guy like him he works hard um his his afro basket stats too you know he's second leading scorer i think with 18.8 points in uh the afro basket 2021 qualifiers so um i i really like i mean there's potential there for sure he's not you know by by no means is is this the basketball player that he's gonna you know retire being but i mean we'll see it's gonna be interesting definitely and i'm i'm very intrigued by him that we've spent this much time talking about ish wainwright before og ananobi yeah. it makes me <laughs> yeah. so happy so i just, yeah. I just I mean, want to put that out there let, let me round off the ish wainwright thing i mean let, let, let's talk mm-hmm. about his fit with the team what he what, what gap he addresses on the team but first i, I want to tell you because he is from kansas city missouri where i used to live for 
for a couple of years. And uh, he went to Raytown uh, High School, which is a prep school, very ranked very high academically in, in the United States. So he went there and I used to go to o Archbishop O'Hara High School. And O'Hara High School and um, Raytown were not rivals, but we played in the same league. And uh, uh, another team in, in, in the same kind of district uh, was uh, Pembroke High. And Pembroke High had uh, Jamal Rush, Brandon Rush, and those guys go to it. So he comes from a, a place in Kansas City, Missouri, which has high basketball pedigree, uh, not just not just from a basketball perspective, but also academically. So there's there's a lot of good things to um, about his, about his um, upbringing, I should say, that that the Raptors can benefit from. But let's switch to basketball for a second. Six six guard, physical. I cannot necessarily think of another player like him on the Raptors. Gary Trent Jr. maybe, but smaller, lighter, not as physical. OG probably is the closest comp to him in terms of physically from a guard slash forward spot. I think, do you think um, uh, that alone sort of gives him an edge into making that opening night roster that uh, Manny talked about? The guy is a physical man-child. Like, he is wide. The shoulders are wide. He can guard anybody on the perimeter, and you can post anyone up on him, and he won't be moved. So defensively, as a 13th man, a guy you can trust to sort of mm. keep the score around the same while the first unit is on the bench, that's something that can allow you to win games. And from a marginal 13th to 15th guy, that's that's got to be a, a positive thing that Nick Nurse looks upon as he evaluates everybody in training camp. Look, all I'm saying is that if he's going to be like uh, PJ Tucker or, you know, even a Lugens, Lugens Dortz, um, sorry, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, my bad. Lou Dort. If he's going to be like the mold of those two guys, um, who, by the way, you know, Nick Nurse loved Lou Dort when he was uh, coaching Team Canada earlier this summer. Um, how can you, how can you not, you know, insert a guy like that into the lineup. And, you know, it's, it, I, I'm really intrigued to see like how he's going to defend. And, and I think he's going to defend, you know, the bigger guys, the centers. I don't know if he's going to be successful in doing it because, you know, it's his first, it, you know, well, we don't even know if he's going to make the opening night roster, but you know, if he does like, you know, he's going to, he's going to have his hiccups. He's going to have his mistakes. I think, you know, to expect him to be a lockdown defender, it, it might be a little crazy, but uh, I think, I think he's, we expect him to be a lockdown defender. We expect him to be uh, the immovable object, solid, the, yeah. the unstoppable force. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like that I guy. Definitely, definitely. I think, I think for sure. Um, it, but I think he has a potential to really, you know, and he has all the physical tools to uh, to lock down opposing centers and opposing big men. Um, he also has the potential I'm, to yeah. win our hearts, much like OG Ananobi. I pulled up his yeah. stats on the screen. Uh, I think uh, we can all agree that, uh, you know, if we have to hit that uh, ambitious 58-win target that many are expecting <laughs> the rappers to hit, this guy basically has to up his game by like 35% uh, across yeah. the board, uh, I find. Um, just to set some context for, for you guys, I think heading into last season, one of the pieces of homework that OG had to do was become more than a 3 and D player. And, and, and you know, do more than just hit threes and the occasional drive, uh, you know, where he used to cut from the baseline, maybe maybe get scores that way, and transition into more of a scorer who can maybe do a pull-up. And I I'll let you guys answer how well he did in that area. Uh, but next, so, so, so two questions. One, how well did he meet expectations last year based on the previous year's expectations? And what is the next logical jump for him this year? Um, who wants to go first? Manny, this time you, you take it. So I think that um, the one thing that, I, you know, in watching, in watching the Raps play uh, and seeing OG, you know, really becoming and emerging uh, an offensive option, I think uh, his first step has to be quicker. I think that that's something that I would like to see for sure. Like right off uh, the dribble, his first step has to be quicker. Um, the other thing is that um, his ball security, just, you know, his when he's going into the paint, I think, Sometimes, you know, a lot of hands are able to get on the ball. And I think that his ball security is another thing that uh, needs to improve um, if he's going to take that next step. In terms of his his shot attempts, like they're going to go up for sure. Um, everyone on the team 
is probably like I well I would say him, Fred, and Pascal. Their their shot attempts are going to go up. But what's going to be interesting is to see, um, you know, who is going to be relied on to be the number one option. Because in my mind, it's not a given that you know I, I think the ball could really be in OG OG's hands during crunch time. Like I don't think that's a question. I think. His, his two-pointers, though, they, they're definitely going to have to uh, increase. He attempted only six during the season last year. And, and you know, he's so what? efficient. What? So, sorry, what, what, he attempted what? He only six attempted two two-point shots a game. Six two-point shots a game last season. Per game? Yeah. Yes. Okay, 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I like, he only attempted six two-point shots. <laughs> no, <laughs> so he attempted in total 12 shots a game, but okay. um, if, he's so efficient in what he does. And, you know, I think taking like having that increased offensive responsibility uh, is only going to, you know, it, it's only going to make him better. And, you know, he's increased, he's improved every year he's been in the league. So, yeah, I think, I think that those two things along with uh, what I said is his first step has to be like really quick. I think that needs to improve um, ball security. And I would say, um, yeah, the two pointers like that, you know, on the note, we were talking about the mid range game that has to go up for sure as well. Yeah. I think he finally realized how strong he was last year. Like I have a mismatch. I'm not far from the hoop. Like let's get into the paint. Then trust my post game that he would talk multiple times in pressers. He actually became way more open last year, spoke for more than 10 words at a time talking about developing his offensive game and trying to add different elements to it because he knows he's going to be relied upon more, but just looking pure numbers wise, he averaged three and a half more minutes, went from 10.6 points to 15.9 points, a career high 40% from three on six attempts. So those numbers are sort of speak for themselves. Like he can sh- reliably shoot a three. I think that that proves it. So that should open up things for him. I agree with man. That first step is a, is a great point, but defensively he's going to have just as much responsibility as ever. How much of a leap does he take? You know, he also missed 30 games last year. Uh, so it's, it's so hard to take what you can from last year and try to extrapolate. It was such a strange season missed games, road games for every single game, right? So I don't know if it's if it's going to be that linear ascent necessarily with everybody sort of, there's, you know, there's no Lowry anymore, right? That is going to cause, forget about the lack of talent, the lack of continuity as well. So it's hard to see how much higher it goes. Hopefully it stays steady or goes a little bit higher, but it in a bridge year, you, you hope that there's some improvement along the way for OG. And I do, I do foresee that for him. So I'll, um, I'll, I'll say that. He he has a the, the point about the the dribble is interesting because I always classify dribbles under the unused dribble, how good he is off the unused dribble in his hand, and how good is he off the live dribble in his hand. Uh, off the live dribble, he's been pretty okay. Like he's got a good hezzy in his move when he's bringing the ball up the court. He he has sort of made use of that to good effect last year. I think what he the, what he hasn't really done is is make use of a unused dribble and use that to create for his teammates or get his own shot. So I think that's definitely homework for him um, this year. The point about the space is interesting because he is probably, and maybe this is wrong, but I don't know. I I think he might be the Raptors' best post-up player. Definitely. I mean, back to the basket. Yes, back to the basket. I think so because because he's yeah. stronger than Pascal. Pascal, yeah. I like it when he you know he he catches with his back to it, then he'll face up a guy. He's yeah. got way more options. But backing down, how many baskets that can you even think of Siakam scoring when yeah. he just tries to back down a guy, drop step a guy versus OG? I, I think that part of his game is something which is unique to him on 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 this on this roster, and I think he's got to make more use of that. And I think this season is another season where he probably won't see a lot of double teams. He's still probably a year away from breaking through and having an offensive impact where defenses will be like, okay, maybe we got to help OG out more than we have been before. I, I think he'll he'll see a relative lack of double teaming, which should give him the freedom to expand or, or experiment with his offense a, a little bit more. But talking pure numbers, he's at 16 points a game this year. I would like to see, and I, and I don't see why he needs to cross the twenty point threshold this year. I, I, I think that should be that should be a goal for him from a scoring perspective. He's entering his fifth year. 
Uh, the Raptors do consider him a core piece of the future. They have expectations that he'll be a good offensive player, more than a 3 and D. Matty, do you think that's an unfair expectation, going up four points a game, 20-plus this year? I don't see why not. Um, I don't think that's an unfair expectation. I think uh, thinking he's going to average 25 would be would be a stretch, but I think 20 points a game for OG is totally doable. Uh, he upped his scoring average from around 10 points uh, in 2019 to 2020 uh, to 16 points last year. So that's, you know, a five to six uh, point increase season to season. I, I don't see why not. Uh, the only the only reason I see that not happening is if, uh, you know, he, he misses a lot of games, uh, God forbid. Um, and... Th- but but no, I do think he's going to average around that. I think I think my expectation, or at least what I think would be uh, realistic for him, is around eighteen to twenty. Um, that's definitely going to uh, help the Raptors a lot. And I think his shot attempts definitely need to go up from three and from two. Um, I'm going to add one thing real quick about his his defense too, since we were on uh, that topic. But his defensive uh, versatility, at least according to bballindex.com. Um, he actually had the highest positional versatility when guarding uh, each position last year. So he guarded, uh, I think he was guarding what each position evenly, like around the same amount, like around 20%. Uh, he, guard, he guarded each position around, uh, yeah, 20% um, whenever he was on the court. So it's it's insane that, you know, his potential is, is a lot higher than, you know, what it was on draft day. And I feel like it continues to go up every year, but, um, back to yeah, it's points per game. I would say I would say eighteen to twenty is is kind of where I'm thinking. Zarar, that's your that's your able to multitask, find OG and Anobi visuals while organizing the conversation in this podcast <laughs> is just eternally impressive to me. Dude, I'm doing Over this to for you. years. I'm doing this for years. I'm a vet, a vet, <laughs> Wiley, I'm like Robert Parrish out here, <laughs> the chief. Yes, that is that is that's definitely you. Uh, all right, I mean, so uh, you know, OG man, I, I have very high expectations of him. Uh, I think the Raptors do too. Um, I, I think better, better post up scoring, better. Playmaking, uh, better perimeter scoring, better defensively. I, I expect him to go up in every single category next year because he has to. And you know, as long as he stays injury free, I would expect him to increase in all those categories. Uh, and somebody, a, a friend of mine, asked me a question um, a while back, and uh, <clears throat> this is like two years ago or two and a half years ago. And he asked me, "Who has a higher ceiling, Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi?" And I was like, "Of course, Pascal." Of course, of course, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. Same question now. Doesn't sound that stupid. No, not at all. Not it at doesn't, all. It doesn't sound stupid because you see the growth potential to, of OG. You see, and you don't necessarily see that with Pascal. Where it leads him, who knows? But no, it's it's not a stupid question anymore. I made the terrible, what's it called, freezing cold take. Uh, you remember the player on the Dallas Mavericks, Roddy Bobois? He was yeah. like this untradeable prospect. And I two, three years ago, I likened OG to Roddy Bobois. Like, why does everyone think so highly of this guy? And uh, <laughs> look at my scouting acumen now. Uh, so, no, the, the growth is potential is definitely there. And I think you'll get your answer by the end of this season. I think that in terms of his, in terms of like his potential, like that isn't a dumb question now, obviously, but I think, you know, his potential, like it's, it's crazy because it keeps, it, and at least in my opinion, it keeps changing every year. His ceiling, it's almost like it keeps going up. And I'm not saying, you know, I see him as a, I don't foresee him as a top five player by any means in the, in the future, but I'm just saying it's it, like, it, there's so many, it, it's a, there's a Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper quote. It's, you know, <laughs> whenever, just when you think, you know, the answer, I change the question. And it's like, it, it's unbelievable how, <laughs> how OG keeps on improving and, you know, the expectations for him year to year are just changing and drastically too, I think. Okay. So let's, let, let's, let me ask you another question, uh, which may sound dumb right now, but may not be dumb three years from now. Who knows? Right. I mean, so who has the higher ceiling? Okay. <laughs> may sound dumb right now. May not sound dumb yeah. in three years. Okay. <laughs> who has the higher ceiling? OG Ananobi or Delano Banton? <laughs> <laughs> Manny, I'll leave that to you. My Delano Banton scouting has been minimal at best, so you you take that one. Um, so okay, this is we're talking right now, and I'm I'm you know 
It's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm being facetious. A, I'm being facetious. Okay, so yeah. let's, let's talk about Delano Bank. Okay, just based on the six summer league games okay, okay. that we have yeah. seen of yeah. of Delano Banton. Uh, you know, clearly, uh, what's going on here? Okay, uh, there you go. Uh, let's look at some Delano Banton highlights while we while we talk through him. He had a pretty damn good summer league. Uh, I think people were quite impressed with some of the zippy passes that he was able to make during yeah. the uh, during the uh, summer league. And immediately people were like, well, maybe, you know, point forward. The Raptors have a general problem with b- lack of ball handling. Here's a guy who does all that. Um, certainly he surprised me with, with everything that he showed. Manny, your take on, uh, on Delano Banton. And g- give me a call. Does he make the 15-man roster? Um, so I think that he uh, – I think that he's going to – I think he's going to split time with the 905 and uh, the main roster just because I think that he still has a lot of uh, his game that needs to be uh, filled out. You know, I I think for the 46th pick in the draft, uh, wow, like, you know, he hasn't by any means, you know, dropped any jaws or anything like that. But I think that he's a lot better than what people expected, at least, you know, what the Toronto media expected, I would say. being that he's from Toronto, which, by the way, congrats on being the first Canadian pick by the Raptors. Well, was that um, surprising, by the way? Were you shocked at that? That, that, that was, was the surprising. first Canadian who that we was, have picked? That was very surprising to me. I'm not going to lie. I never thought um, – I knew that before Jamal McGlure uh, was on the team. I don't think there had been a Canadian on the team before Jamal McGlure in, like, 2011 no, or first draft pick. He was the first yeah, draft pick. Yeah, 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 yeah. First draft pick by the Raptors, though, that, that definitely surprised me. Yeah, it's funny. I'm watching. I'm watching the, this Banton highlight selection, and they have. They, there was one play where he completed a dribble handoff after dribbling a lot, and that was the end of the highlight. Yeah, uh, which was which is cool. <laughs> but the, the handle that listen, the handle that I'm seeing in my unqualified opinion for a guy this six nine, what, yeah. six nine six ten. I mean, that's that is impressive. And I, you know, he's a perfect development prospect in that with the nine hundred five. Um, I covered um, the Hamilton Honey Badgers of the CEBL. Their head coach Ryan Schmidt is the assistant. At, for the Raptors 905. And this is the type of project that he would absolutely love to take on based on my, again, my limited viewing of, of Banton. So there's, there's so much development potential and I'm sure Ryan Schmidt sees that right now. And he's got his whole program ready to go once he comes down to the 905. Okay. Let me put this way. I've already put Banton ahead of Utah Watanabe. Apologies to our Japanese fans. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. I, it, when, when I look at the and again, it's premature. It's based on summer league and the highlights we're watching. But when, when I look at the two similar build, lanky threes, kind of three four ish, uh, supposed to run the point forward a little bit. This guy just seems to have a better vision because he mostly keeps his head up, uh, and he seems to have played point guard since, uh, or at least played a, a ball handling role since he started playing basketball, which is evident in the way he plays. So. Even right now, his three-point shot notwithstanding, which is pretty poor, uh, and maybe that's that's the make-or-break decision between Watanabe and him getting minutes is the three-point shot. But right now, I don't know why Stanley Johnson's highlights. <laughs> okay, <laughs> oh, these are comps. These are comps. Stand Stanley Johnson, Michael yeah. MKG. Uh, I would say Banton is something I right now in these early stages. I prefer him to Watanabe. The thing with Watanabe I found is offensively he knew where to go, where to locate himself just instinctively I found throughout the season. Now, how how do you value that versus passing ability and ball handling ability which Utah has some of as well, I'm not sure, and how do you value that versus 10 to 15th man? What do you need? Uh, I think they're close, but Utah seemed to know where to be on the court, which I think is valuable in some way. I would agree with that. I think that I think that the difference, at least that I'm seeing, is is Banton is is so confident when he's running on the fast break. It's like he is so confident in his pace and he's so confident in his ability to almost dictate where the game's gonna go. And you know, by no means is he, is he a superstar, but he's just he knows like, like Utah, he knows where to be and he knows I think I think Taking it a step further, though, he knows what he wants to happen. Um, and his confidence, I think his confidence is there. Confidence is something that I don't I don't see too much of it in Utah. I might be wrong, but, I mean, just the levels of in, in, you know, confidence. And I think that's the biggest difference is, is Delano is so, so, like, good at dictating, like, where he's going. And 
and it's it's uncanny really it's it's surprising but i mean it's it's a welcome surprise by all means that's a really good point because i mean of all the sports that people you know people you hear coaches and players talk about i think confidence comes up the most in basketball i i think it's it's not even close how much that word is mentioned by coaches uh, in basketball compared to other sports yeah, yeah, especially in covering just the minor league teams that I with the 905 in Hamilton that is mentioned all the time. And and not just by the coaches but by the players too, just how they're feeling certain times of the year based on what's going on on the court, like especially bench guys that like are on short leashes. Just if you're if you're not feeling well and you miss your first two shots, well, it's it's not going to work out well for you when you're fighting for your professional life. So yeah, mm-hmm. confidence is is cliched, but it it means so much. And that's a really good point about Banton in those highlights again that I saw. Yeah, like he he knows where he wants to go, and he's got this handle that is yeah. really impressive as well. He's really toolsy, is what uh, is what Zatzman and I were talking about. Is like he's he's very toolsy. He he's long. He's wiry. Like I mean, he's another guy that. You know, he could fill out. He could probably put on, like, you know, maybe 10, 15 pounds. But, I mean, honestly, I don't know if he's going to move as fast if he does that. I think, you know, he's starting to carve out uh, at least the early beginnings and the early signs of he's going to be a fast um, kind of like aero. I don't know if aerodynamic is the right word. Uh, but he's going to be like, you know what I mean, right? He's going to be yeah. like a, a fast, loose guard. And, and you know, yeah. I'm by all means, like, I don't think I'll, we'll see him post up uh, much, if ever, but... I mean, if he can develop a shot, uh, like many of these guys, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm so intrigued by him uh, more than, more than a lot of second round picks, by the way. And, and uh, you know, you made, made the point about confidence. I, I think Utah also had confidence at one point, and then it got sucked yeah. out of him <laughs> like a hurricane <laughs> in Minnesota. Minnesota, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but you know what though? But I, even then, he, he he came back and he made that call. He's like, you know, I'm still gonna go up. And no man, walk that. he he was he was a different <laughs> guy after that. He was, totally he, was, he was his demeanor changed. He started walking funny. It's the line of demarcation, <laughs> right? Right at that point, it's a long okay. season. Confidence. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think we got to wrap it up. Um, uh, so thanks for thanks for coming on, man. Manny, we can find you at underscore Manny Rao at Twitter. I guess Manny Rao right. was taken by some other guys. Underscore in there. Yes. Yeah, I had to. I'm so yeah. upset by it. But. Yeah. A- Andrew, you're lucky enough to uh, just have your name uh, as your Twitter. But you used to be Transition D. What happened? I used to like that name. I appreciate that, but I'm trying to grow this professional brand okay, okay. That's, that's that's just burgeoning right now, as 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 you know. So I went with the full name. Okay, all right, okay, guys. We'll we'll, we'll do it again soon enough, uh, listener. Thank you for tuning in. Um, oh, uh, quick 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 promo note: uh, the Raptors Republic tournament is back. Uh, yeah, we're playing basketball November 28th, uh, Madame Athletic Center. Uh, 16 teams. We will open registrations on uh, September the third. So look out for that. It's going to get sold out pretty quickly. So uh, get your keyboards ready. uh, And we'll see you guys uh, soon enough. Take care.